This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. Let us start off with some follow-ups. You know, we were kind of, on last week's show, I think we were kind of uh, working too hard to get through a lot of stuff. Although I liked the show, I thought it was good, these science segments we did, but today we're going to take a little more relaxed pace, I think, and catch up on some stuff that we talked about before. Now, on last week's program, we announced the starting of the When Are They Going to Find Osama contest here at Radio Parallax. We're offering $100 plus numerous other prizes as yet to be named, but uh, it it will pile up. We're going to offer a lot of loot by the time this happens for the winner of the contest to pick the exact day when Osama is suddenly discovered or killed uh, in Afghanistan, Pakistan, wherever it is he's hanging out. Now, uh, Chris sent us an email and chose August 26th, at the date that Chris thinks it's most likely. Kevin has signed in on October 3rd, and uh, both Mr. McMillan and I are going to pick dates because, because, let's face it, this is a contest we're not going to be able to fix. So Mr. McMillan takes October 19th. I pick even closer to Election Day, October 24th. Now, we're going to assume that all times will be uh, noon. You can pick the same day if you want to pick a different time. You know, you want to split the hairs. We've got lots of days to choose from. And uh, we'll see. We'll see. I I believe that Osama will be found in an October surprise. In fact, there was a cartoon uh, to this effect I saw in the Week magazine showing Bush examining the polls saying that people worried about an October surprise, Dick Cheney is saying to him. Meanwhile, in the corner, you see a guy in a turban eating Cheetos, looking glum, and watching television while his ankle is handcuffed to the chair. And we'll be adding a page to our website, which is radioparallax.com, for the When Are They Gonna Find Osama contest. And we hope that as the weeks go by, more and more of you will enter. This is going to be interesting. All right, another follow-up. We mentioned at Dr. Andy's Oscar party that I was stunned to see that four people chose 18 of the Oscar winners. Well, it turns out Dr. Andy himself picked 22 out of 24 categories for the Oscar. But being the host and the person buying the, uh, buying the prizes, he couldn't very well, he felt, award himself the prize. So uh, yeah, congratulations, Dr. Andy. He's quite a prognosticator when it comes to to the Oscars. And uh, Dr. Andy sent us an email regarding the upcoming planetary alignment. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes because that is an interesting story. Uh, and I thought in, in, in honor of uh, him sending us that email, we would then cite a poem. A poem that's related to astronomy, which goes as follows. The cosmos, it seems, is full of surprises. The sun doesn't set. The horizon rises. Now, we're not sure what to make of this planetary alignment from an astrologic standpoint. Uh, that would be more in uh, the uh, bailiwick of Michael Mercury, whose public affairs show every Monday tends to stray into the, uh, the deep, dark woods of astrology on occasion. No, uh, I went to Astrofax on the web to, uh, to talk about this, asking, what does this mean, this planetary alignment? And uh, the answer is nothing. Nothing really, nothing ever happens when these planets line up. Uh, Neither of the last two 
occasions when the planets lined up like this, spanning 16 to 25 degrees, that was in February of 62 and May of 2000, respectively, caused any kinds of measurable effects here on Earth. And in some surprise election news today, eight days after the election, Dan Lundgren has topped Rico Oler in the third district race for the Republican nomination for Congress. Lundgren ran a disastrous campaign against Gray Davis in 1998 and was thoroughly trounced. This appears to mark his political comeback. It's interesting that Rico Oler was a top priority candidate of the Club for Growth, which uh, was saying before the election, we think he has that star power to him that he could someday run for governor or the Senate or something like that. So the Club for Growth came in and spent basically the 15% of the funds to try and put uh, Oler over. But uh, it didn't work. He spent too much time apparently attacking Mary Osi, and Mary Osi was uh, trying to fight back against Oler. They ignored Lundgren, and he came out of what looked like third place to take the top spot, kind of like on Jeopardy. Well, we're not wild about Dan Lundgren, but with his uh, sending in the, uh, the goons to bust up the cannabis clubs in Oakland when he was uh, attorney general. Uh, but, you know, I'm glad to see that the, the voters over in the 3rd District turned their back on Rico Oler, a guy who is, uh, you know, the Club for Growth-style Republican that I think we don't need. I guess we should mention who's on today's program. We have quite a few people to talk to us today. Our media correspondent, uh, Gary Chu, will speak with us about the fascinating documentary, The Fog of War, which won the Oscar for Best Documentary. And it, it certainly is. The story of Robert McNamara, uh, as brought to you by Errol Morris, a documentary filmmaker. Uh, McNamara, at age 85, reflects back on his life and his accomplishments, and uh, it's an amazing movie. And Gary will be here to talk to us uh, about that. Also joining us from New York City will be Michael Salem a leading member since 1988 of the National Organization of Parents of Murdered Children. In our third segment today, Mr. Salem will talk about the still unsolved murder 17 years ago of Christopher O'Connor. This has been a subject which uh, Michael Salem's invested quite a bit of energy into, trying to solve this mystery this many years later. And he'll be talking to us about that in our third segment. All right, another email sent us by uh, Jerry Polakoff which I think is worth reading. This is a letter uncovered from President George W. Bush to John Hinckley. Dear John, Laura and I hope that you're continuing your excellent progress and recovery. We're pleased to hear that you're now able to have unsupervised visits with your parents. The staff at the hospital reports that you're doing fine. I've decided to seek a second term in office, and I'd appreciate your support and the support of your parents. By the way, were you aware that John Kerry is screwing Jodie Foster? All right, now I love Davis, but, uh, you know, it's been accused of being sort of overly politically correct at times. But I don't think UCD can hold a candle to this article from The Week magazine about the student newspaper on the University of Oregon campus, which called on the school to refuse to play games against universities with, quote, offensive, unquote, mascots. According to the paper, quote, this includes not only teams with American Indian mascots, this is the Daily Emerald newspaper, but of other races, such as Notre Dame's mascot. 
by calling their teams the Fighting Irish, the editorial said. Notre Dame crudely caricatures an ethnicity and exacerbates that stereotype of the Irish as combative. I think at this juncture we have to go to the writings of Mr. George Carlin. <laughs> Brain Droppings, page 53, where Carlin sounded in in a very similar editorial tone on this very subject. <laughs> a per George Carlin, Being Irish, I guess I should resent the Notre Dame nickname, the Fighting Irish. After all, how many nicknames like the Bargaining Jews or the Murdering Italians would last? Only the ironic Irish could be so naively honest. I got the feeling that the Notre Dame came close to naming itself the frickin' drunken, thick-skulled, brawling, short-weenied Irish. All right, let's talk about this planet panorama that's coming up. Uh, we'll have a couple shows between now and March 27th when, um, I guess that'll be the best of all nights of viewing. There'll be some variation. Uh, right now, right now you can go out and see a stunning Venus in the West. And as you look up, you will see Saturn uh, near at, at dusk, Saturn nearly, uh, you know, straight up and Jupiter coming off um, the eastern horizon. And if you look closely, you'll find Mars. Now, with the Moon entering the picture and the planet Mercury entering the equation, as it will in the next uh, few days, it really will be a rare spectacle to be able to see the Moon and all five of the planets known to the ancients visible in the sky at the same time. In fact, I suppose technically if you were in exactly the right place, as the last bit of Sun went down, you might even be able to see the Sun too, all seven objects. I don't know, that may be a bit of a stretch. But um, we'll, be, we'll be talking about that a little bit more. This did last happen in the year 2000, but apparently won't happen again for something like 30-some-odd years. We'll be able to see all the planets as easily as this. So we recommend highly that you go out and see the free show in the sky that uh, Mother Nature will provide this month. On the planet Mars, it so happens that the, the Martian uh, rovers are able to witness eclipses of the Martian moons. Now, these are not as dramatic as an eclipse here on Earth because neither one of the moons is able to fully cover up the surface of the sun. But to pull it off is, is quite a feat. It takes something like 45 seconds for one of the Martian moons to come whipping in front of the sun's surface. But they have managed to capture both Phobos and Deimos in a partial eclipse. Um, they're still processing the pictures as of uh, this show. But we should be able to get some, uh, you know, pretty stunning visuals from Mars on, uh, you know, a phenomenon that we're spoiled here on Earth on account of the fact that our moon and our sun are almost identical. So when they line up just perfectly, it's a stunning sight. I've seen three of these things, and I'm going to see a few more before I, I die, I hope. It's one of the greatest spectacles nature can offer you. Full, 100% solar eclipse. They don't happen all that often. I believe the next good one is in the year 2006. So, uh, you know, if you do have a chance to travel to Europe sometime that year, you might want to plan your travels around where and when you'll be able to see a total eclipse. I do a lot of my travel planning uh, based on this. Uh, you might also want to look ahead to June 8th. Mark that on your calendar because something that no one on Earth has seen, no human eyes have witnessed for 122 years, will take place. The planet Venus will actually cross in front of the sun. Now, this, uh, this will be somewhat analogous to the, uh, the eclipses on Mars of Phobos or Deimos. Venus does not even come close 
to being able to fully cover up the sun. But by taking the proper precautions, one will be able to see a most curious spectacle. The last time this happened was in December of 1882. In fact, it'll be kind of, uh, kind of, uh, kind of neat to go out and realize that Venus is still whipping around. The sun has not reached its maximum point where it's about 45 degrees away from the sun and then starts to dive back in. It'll start to dive back in in May, and we'll catch up to the sun and go right in front of it on June 8th. Now, why doesn't this happen every time uh, Venus laps us on the inside track? Well, it's the same reason that you don't get a total eclipse of the sun and moon every time uh, the moon and the sun line up. We're not in exactly the same plane, so conditions have to be just so to be exactly in a line. This, again, does not happen too often with Venus. In fact, uh, the only time this was ever noticed was since the advent of the telescope. In 1863, 1761, 1769, 1874, and 1882 were the only previous times that human beings have been paying much attention when Venus passed in front of the sun. And by the way, you will have to travel to see this one because here in California on June 8th, when this event takes place, the sun will have already gone down below the horizon. So you're going to have to go uh, to the East Coast or to Europe. And, uh, you know, if you've got some travel plans in June, that might be a cool thing to keep in mind. And in other astronomy news, the House passed a bill last month calling for awards of $3,000 to amateur astronomers for discovering and tracking near-Earth asteroids. Now, the Senate has to pass this, and President Bush has to sign it, but I hope they do, because I think that anyone, any backyard astronomer who goes out and discovers an asteroid that crosses the orbit of the Earth and thereby presents a potential collision hazard with our planet should be rewarded for doing so. From what I can gather from this bill, only the person who, who finds the biggest asteroid is going to get three grand. Hey, hey. I think anyone who finds one ought to get a little dough for this. I mean, this is very uh, cost-effective use of your government resources, in my opinion. Uh, you know, when, it, when a large asteroid hits the Earth, it's a big deal. Just ask the dinosaurs. No, this would be well worth our while to encourage amateurs to find these objects. Keep in mind, if you've been to Arizona and, and gone to see Meteor Crater, which is a much larger than stadium uh, blasted out hole in the Arizona desert. It's like a kilometer across. Keep in mind that the object that came in from space and did that was the size of a Greyhound bus. An asteroid a kilometer across needs to get moved out of the way if it's in danger of crashing into the Earth. All right, we made a mention briefly about this issue of uh, gay marriages, and uh, I just got to say... If we want to hand George W. Bush the election, this is how we do it. Uh, Gavin Newsom, the mayor of San Francisco, needs to get a good talking to. If we push this issue between now and November, we are going to hand Bush the election. This is what Karl Rove wants above all else, to avoid having to run on George Bush's record as president, but instead pick up a peripheral issue like gay marriage and a whip his Southern Baptist-type fundamentalist supporters into a frenzy over the fact that out there in California are letting them homos get married. It's a trick. Don't fall for it. Now, it turns out that uh, Gavin Newsom's um, wife apparently went to law school right here at UC Davis. Perhaps we can get her on. Uh, 
on this program in the future. I wouldn't count on it. She's busy spending a lot of time back east uh, appearing on as a consultant on various television programs. I think Court TV has her on as a reporter. But uh, hey, maybe we'll be able to nevertheless bring her on the show. I hope so. And I would like to get Mr. Newsom on, Mayor Newsom on, to ask him, what is he thinking? And when I say that, I'm not taking a stand on gay marriage. I'm just looking forward to the 2004 election. I don't know. Uh, This seems like a very bad idea. Now, we're going to probably talk to some people here on this program about this topic, people who are very much supportive of of gay marriage. I certainly think it's worth hearing them out on the subject. But uh, I'm not backing off on this idea that between now, between March and November, in the next eight months, this is not the time to push this forward. It's playing into the hands of Mr. Karl Rove, and that's not a set of hands that I think we ought to be playing into. We've obtained a new intern for the radio station here at KDVS. He'll be here in spring quarter after he travels out from Yale University. Rutherford B. Hayes V will be assisting us in production. We're inviting him to speak here today after we found out that he's in Skull and Bones. So welcome to the station a few weeks early, Rutherford. Oh, call me Ford. Delighted to be able to go west, as they say. Now, Kerry and Bush are skull and bones. Why do so many skull and bones Yaleys get into politics? You're asking a question that is a fair one, a question that begs for an answer. I'm here to tell you I will not rest until it is addressed. Okay, so why are Yaleys overrepresented in politics? Let me say this. We have obligations to do our best, to work together, to pull together, to strive to build a better society, and we do so strive. Great. But what's the deal with Skull and Bones? The what? The secret Yale society that you belong to, along with John Kerry, George Bush, and 800 other people. Oh, well, if I tell you, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> well, seriously, Ford, why are, so many, why are people so secretive about this group? Well, it is, after all, a secret society. By definition, a secret society should be secret. This isn't the Boy Scouts. This isn't the Moose Lodge or the Elks Club. Well, I'm I'm not asking you to give up the secret handshake. And I'm not at liberty to say more. Can you even say the phrase, skull and bones? We at Yale are not afraid to speak out, Doug, to query in long, ringing phrases those things that need to be queried. And I promise you this is not a tradition I will abandon. No? Not today. Not tomorrow. Not ever. Does everyone talk like this at Yale? If you're asking me, do we put forth, without fear, what the public wants to know, I believe I can say, yes, absolutely. I'm getting a headache. And if I may, I would like to promise now that when I am your station intern, we will see a new dawn of cooperation between two fine institutions of education. That's great, Ford. Uh, You know, one problem that we have around here, no writing paper. We're looking forward to you coming here and tackling that problem. Paper will not be scarce with Ford Hayes working for you, no, sir. I swear that every DJ in your station will have both paper and pencil at the ready. Anytime he seeks it, anytime he needs it. Is there a class on how to talk like this? To that, I would say the following. Well, well okay. I, Wait, let's just end it right there. Uh, Ford, we'll see you next quarter. Maybe we can get you open up about the whole skull and bones thing. Ooh, <laughs> I can't wait to get in a good polo match. Well, that's good, because we have quite a great equestrian center here at UC Davis, so we'll see you soon. Terrific. And might I say, uh, in closing, goodbye, Doug. 
All right, we've got to take a break. You're listening to Radio Parallax here on KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. I'm your host, Douglas Everett. Stay tuned in the second segment for Mr. Gary Chu to talk about the amazing documentary that you can see currently in the Tower Theater in Sacramento, Errol Morris's The Fog of War. 